So we're rolling. Cool. We are live. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary, and my name is Mark. And I have a passion that you should feel in control of your life. And so what I do is I help you get control of your business. And part of how I do that is by letting you listen in on a conversation between two people who have a passion for excellence somewhere in the entrepreneurial world. And they're talking about a subject... We're talking about a subject that you probably already know something about, but this time we're digging in a little deeper to really get the nuts and bolts of what will help you break through the ceiling and unlock wherever you're stuck. And so today we're talking with an expert, uh, Ken Green, also known as the engineer of finance, is a financial advisor and founder of Green Finance and Insurance. And Ken began his career as a professional engineer. And after the market crashed in 2008, he moved into the insurance and financial industry, where he quickly realized that he was one of the few people who cared about educating their clients rather than just selling something to them. And so what he found was that the financial industry needed to be run with the precision that he brought to engineering. And so he, as the founder of Green Finance and Insurance, he is also the host of the Engineer of Finance podcast. And so Ken is here today to talk to us about finance and the things that we can bring into our finance world, that the lessons of engineering and the things that are going on today. And so welcome, Ken. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited. Thanks, Mark. Well, I'm glad to have you here. I know you've... It's been an tr- interesting year for everybody. Uh, what has your engineering mind learned about uh, finance in the year of COVID as we wrap it up? Well, in the year of COVID, I would say uh, throughout my podcast last few months, it's like, I don't want to talk about COVID anymore, but it's, it's hard. Well, I don't either. To, I've, I've, right? I've, I've got COVID <laughs> fatigue about talking about it, but you know, this is the end of the year. This is yeah. when finance decisions, we, we, I, by the time this gets published, this will be the beginning of the year. So we should probably not be giving tips or tricks of the things you need to do in December because this will be January. So in January, <laughs> you've got your, your April and other deadlines. You know, you know, we're going to have to think about some of these things. Well, I could say something, well, and who knows if this extension will apply for January, but I can say something that has happened. Um, you know, I do take a contrary approach to money and finances. And because of the CARES Act part of COVID, uh, you know, one of the biggest things for clients and for small businesses and families uh, to create is to create more certainty, right? An uncertain year and an uncertain 2021 and quite often, just having a lot of cash on hand creates a lot of certainty, a lot of liquidity. And so a part of the COVID, all the different release, reliefs that they created, the Relief Act, the CARE Act, I hate all their marketing terminology, but essentially people had the opportunity to dip in and access uh, up to $100,000 worth of their cash and their 401k or IRA or qualified plan that they might not be able to touch that money until they're 59 and a half, typically. On a qualified plan, that money is captive. They own it yet, the financial industry and the government control it. And so it's like, hey, this is your get-out-of-jail-free card. Now, they have a place, qualified plans. Typically, the industry goes right to that first. For me, that's ancillary for a lot of families uh, is let's let's create a lot of cash. Let's create a lot of control and liquidity. And so they had an opportunity to get 100000 without 10% penalty and without tax withholding. Pretty powerful. so let's talk about it. You say, I get that. And, and really the foundation of almost everything we've dealt with, with uh, that unifies everybody is the 
tremendous amount of uncertainty. And I've been mm-hmm. preaching this idea of like, you've got to get to certainty as fast as possible, even if certainty is bad news. Bad, bad news that's certain is better than potentially good news in terms of confidence and being able to make decisions and, and avoiding paralysis. And I love that you just connected that directly to cash. But there's a lot of ways that cash manifests. And, I, and as soon as you said cash, I started thinking about the savings rate and people spending less money and, and, and hoarding it to some extent. But then you went right to like, well, we've got cash in other places we might have access to. And then there might be some lending components. What are the different ways that we, that an entrepreneur owner should be thinking of to as, as both as a business owner and as an individual, where should they be looking for cash? Oh, uh, well, where should, to get it, to have liquidity? Yeah, like I guess well, so that's a good point. Just, so, so were we talking about liquidity? Are we talking about actual cash or is there a difference in your mind? Uh, there's a little bit of difference, but when I say cash, I mean just having something that you can control and is safe and you can access within a couple weeks. And so uh, specifically with the qualified plans, uh, that created a lot of peace of mind for families because it was uncertain times. We don't know what's coming. We still don't know what's coming. And just to have money that was tied up for 20, 30 years controlled by the industry uh, was a lot of peace of mind for a lot of families because you can pay a mortgage for a long time. You know, for most mortgages, if you have a hundred thousand just sitting under your mattress or in your safe or in your your favorite uh, banks that you can access, and so uh, in uncertain times, just having that money liquid creates a lot of certainty. It's, it's peace of mind, and um, so uh, other areas to get it. Uh, that was just a very low hanging fruit, and it was a great option, and I'm glad that was opened up for families. Uh, other areas of getting money. Uh, I mean, my gosh, uh, mortgages, for example. Uh, incredibly low interest rate environment. And um, I was just explaining to, to um, a family I was working last week about uh, explaining opportunity costs. And when we have this ability to take advantage of a low interest rate environment, get a mortgage at some ridiculous rate, and who knows what it'll be in a few weeks, but uh, I've seen areas for 30-year fix, 2.5%, 2.75. I mean, these are unbelievably low numbers. And if you're tied up in, in a higher interest rate environment on a mortgage, it's a great opportunity that you can uh, transfer that obligation. I mean, you have a contractual obligation with these mortgages. Now, if you can go refi it, do a cash out refi, equity in your home, incredible amount of equity in a house. If you plan to live there for a long time and you have the ability to do a cash out refi, lock in at a low interest rate environment at 3% or 35 whatever. And create that kind of liquidity stuff in your savings account. And uh, now you have to pay a low monthly rate for 30 years. Now, a lot of people that will go against the grain because it's like, gosh, man, I just don't want to pay all that interest to other people. But when you understand opportunity costs and how that money can be leveraged in other investments, uh, for most families, that creates a lot of peace of mind. A lot of peace of mind. And, and just an example of a two thousand dollar a month mortgage, and you're able to pull out twenty four thirty thousand after that refi, and you lost your job or something weird happens, you can pay that mortgage for a long time. That creates a lot of certainty and can be really powerful for a family's financial strategy. So, say so you create some liquidity, uh, and, and most people listen to this, I would think, would be biased towards uh, playing for the win. I mean, there's certainly going to be people who want to understand defense that comes from having cash on hand and having some uh, that peace of mind and wait, waiting, either waiting for the next shoe to drop, something bad happens, or or 
a lot of people I know are just waiting for something good to happen to them, which oftentimes looks like something bad happened to somebody else, which is another other thing. But I got the cash on hand waiting for a house to be half price or that I can buy as a rental property or a business that's almost out of business that I can grab. What are you telling people in terms of deploying capital uh, in terms of the uncertainty? Investing in other businesses, investing in the stock market, investing in real estate, and what what are you telling people? Well, I mean, that's spoken like a true entrepreneur, right? Entrepreneurs are very optimistic, typically. We're always finding ways to to win. What's the angle? Where's the the positive? I mean, you have to be positive to be an entrepreneur. Because if you're thinking all things are going to go wrong, it's it's important to address. But then you're pivoting. It's like, hey, where's the contrarian approach? Where's the – what are some phenomenal opportunities that – will present themselves shortly. And I, so when you say playing for the win, I like that because I was working with an engineer in the mines last year and we're going over his financial strategy in an approach that we're taking, which is not so sexy at first, but uh, he's like, we're going to have a very defensive approach. And he's like, that's right. Defenses win championships, offense sells tickets. And so I liked it, how he made that statement. And uh, yeah, sometimes it's real boring having a defensive approach and creating liquidity and a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of small business owners, and just people who love chasing rates of return, uh, having uh, 0% in interest paid to you from the banks is painful. It feels like you're going backwards. So, But the very nature of creating a lot of liquidity is when you have a lot of money sitting idle doing nothing, opportunities will seek you out. Opportunities will seek you out. And so a, a good friend... Um, and client, I mean, just this year in real estate, uh, did a phenomenal transaction in a seller's market, right? Housing in in the in uh, northern Nevada, Reno, Nevada has become very, very popular. And I think a lot of it because of the mass exodus of the wealthy out, out of California. I mean, they're moving. Yeah. And yeah. so coming into uh, the Reno area, I mean, my gosh, they can buy a mansion for what you could have in San Jose. Yeah. And <laughs> Pretty right? much you can imagine almost anywhere else. <laughs> and so even in the seller's market, I never would have predicted that the government of California, and California is such a beautiful state. I mean, it's gorgeous. But my gosh, that government is just doing everything in its power to push out the wealthy and the strong income streams. And so it, a lot of people are breaking. and says, you know what? We're out. We're out. And so the ones moving out are the ones that still can. It won't sustain itself. And then, then you'll have the one stuck. But uh, – What's happening is the real estate in the Reno, Tahoe area, I've never seen it so high in Tahoe. I've never seen it so high and just keeps growing and growing. I mean, and uh, but even in a seller's market now with real estate, um, I had one particular client, uh, I mean, incredible deal on a real estate transaction. I mean, uh, like 50% off because he had the money and was liquid and could close on that transaction within a couple of weeks. Right? I, so and there's I love what you said need. there, though. The, the story you're painting and the way you've sort of phrased it really told the story because offense uh, to me and, and, and the way I by my the nature of my energy and my personality I go I, th- I do kind of look for like okay I want to go win today but today I want to go be aggressive and do something and um, and I've not found that that really works uh, the, the way you describe it is like be prepared and don't do anything and when and be patient and when the thing that it makes sense arrives, you will have a choice and you will be able to, to, to really make a winning move in that position rather than taking an okay move on the day you felt aggressive. It, it's, it sounds really – it sounds odd, but it, the opportunities will find you. They will seek you out. I mean, one thing that's been fascinating 
uh, this year. I mean, you just look at the oil and natural gas industry. I mean, it got most of them got pummeled. I mean, they just yeah, yeah, yeah. got destroyed. I mean, the, the very nature of watching oil go below negative 30 a barrel, where the industry would actually pay you to take the oil, is fascinating. Oh, man. Yeah, when and, I got and the I call ca- from my clients, they, they were they're saying, you, did you see the news? Like, no, it's negative. No, that's not possible. Oh, yeah. Yes, it oh, is. Oh, my phone was – I was getting lit up. I mean, it was just fascinating. Uh, clients were calling me. It's like they've never seen that in, in the futures market and yeah. just – and, and so, but my point on that is like, you know, I represent a lot of engineers and engineers ask a lot of questions. I mean, to the point, it's almost paralysis by analysis. Sometimes we ask so many questions, we just don't move forward, but we really want to understand the guts. We want to understand it really, really well or perfectly before we move forward. And um, now when it comes like the construction in but sometimes quite often, especially electrical engineers, I'll tease one of my good friends. He just never moves forward, right? He's just very, very safe. He, he wants everything under his mattress. He did, it's, he's very <laughs> concerned about making any type of investment. Well, dude, you're losing. If you keep pontificating on this in the next 10 years that you're going to get into real estate, you're going to do this investment, just forget it. And so quite often, a lot of people make the decision by just letting time outweigh that decision. When there's timelines, they just won't make a decision by that timeline. Therefore, by default, they don't move. Um, but it, what I find fascinating with uh, developers, like in land development and uh, construction guys, I swear uh, they just fuel every up and down because when it's um, cranking, they're buying the nice trucks and the nice stuff. But then when things are tough, I mean, they're losing everything. There is no liquidity. There is no savings or buffer strategy. But I love their um, just the optimism and they just get it done. But it can put them in a precarious position. You look at the oil and natural gas industry, a lot of these operators, they're just pedal to the metal. And they're just always looking optimistically and they don't have a defensive approach. So then all of a sudden, once oil drops below 55 a barrel and 35 a barrel, 25 a barrel, they're in a precarious position. They've got a lot of money leveraged and then they get margin calls from the banks and then they're forced and put in a position that they have to have a certain amount of reserve and then they're put in a position that they sell off their top assets just to stay alive and then you have people in the oil and natural gas space that had been sitting i mean perfect example is warren buffett i mean beginning of 2020 he was sitting on incredible amount of cash idle doing nothing and if you watch how he buys and does investments opportunities seek him out and then and you make money on the buy and then, uh, that, and then he hangs on to him forever. He's not your typical investor. He's not doing the S&P 500 and just buy and hold. Uh, he, that's not the game he plays. Uh, he has money sitting idle. An opportunity will present itself. He'll buy a substantial discount, and he hangs on to it forever. I mean, that's, that's their way. And so anyway, in the oil and natural gas space, you'll see the same thing. And same thing with developers. Uh, back in 08, 07, actually 06 is when things really started taking a, a hit. Uh, but prior to that, there was no defensive approach. It's just like, hey, we're going to leverage as much money with these banks and private lenders and hard money lenders, and we're going to get after it. We're going to turn and turn and turn. And you knew there was a problem when houses were on the market for less than 48 hours after it just got acquired and it was being sold again for right. 10% more. It was unreal. And uh, But then it all stopped. And so uh, so it's interesting because there's people in, in all the different – so oil and natural gas has been a phenomenal opportunity by the end of this year to invest in. Probably will be in 2021. Now, when I talk about this, I'm not – this is very specific for different – Investors, I'm not saying everyone listening to the show go out and buy oil and natural gas. That's not my point. But those who are positioned for it and, and with the right partners, um, some incredible opportunities presented themselves in 2020 and 21 because you had these operators that had to sell their top assets at a substantial discount. Yeah, for sure. Right? So COVID, 
So for, for me and a lot of my clients, where we have money sitting liquid and my partners in the private equity space, uh, what an incredible opportunity, two pounds. And it, it presented itself, and it's a win-win too because if those – if, if uh, those operators didn't get their money, they're out of business for the rest of their lives. And so it's still a win-win. They're, they're trading the opportunity to survive another day, and it's an incredible investment opportunity. With, where, I mean, obviously there's risk in all these things, but uh, what a great way to mitigate risk. So I mean, the timing, can, I can imagine some time, there's some sense of urgency coming. It's like, this is the time when things are starting to kind of feel like, oh, the, the buys are out there. Everything's discounted now. Got to go get the credit card out and go buy the, the, <laughs> the, the fire sale asset somewhere. What's your advice to people in that spot? Stick, you know, take some, op, op, take the opportunity of the first quarter, stick it out. Uh, you know, what's your, what's your recommendation there? What are you specifically to uh, what I was just talking about, the energy sector or? or well, just, just, you know, I, the way I see it is, you could you could imagine pretty comfortably that we'll see a summer recovery. That's oh, I, probably I hope. So. I pray. Yeah, I I I, I, so. I think it's a, to me. Well, let's go for. I can speak for myself. I don't necessarily know what everybody else says, but to me, it looks like that's that's pretty good math. Not one hundred percent. It's not one hundred percent math at all. We could have other viral variants that kind of knock us off our horse. But if you're a betting man, then I, I'm or a woman, then I could think that you could make a, a reasonable case that. We will see a significant uptick by summer and certainly by fall. And so that means this winter is your opportunity to buy things in a depressed state so you can somehow ride that wave up. Or would you, how much leverage would you recommend somebody take now in a strategy like that? Or would you, or how would you guide somebody to calculate relative risk in terms of taking advantage of that? Well, I, I would say that uh, talking about you know opportunities presenting themselves and and forecasting and it just shows how none of us have a crystal ball right. We have no idea. Oh, actually, I joke all the time. I say I know exactly what the stock market's going to do tomorrow. I know exactly what it's going to do. It's going to go up, down, or sideways, right? And any expert out there pretends differently, um, unless it's like you know the Treasury and BlackRock making all the decisions right now. They know what's going to happen, but uh, everyone else, we're just kind of. It, it, opportunities will present themselves. So let me see a way of uh, the best way to answer that. Um, leverage, you know, leverage when it's working your favor is a very powerful mechanism. And so prior to me getting this industry, boy, did I take away, take advantage of leverage. Uh, but it also destroyed me. And so I'm very, very cautious. And so uh, I'll step back to a couple things uh, on purchasing and leverage and uh, some opportunities will present themselves. Uh, for example, I'm, I'm watching real estate closely. I thought for sure a couple years ago, prior to the t- Trump administration's tax cuts, that uh, real estate was in for a correction in, in the Reno Tahoe area. But little did I know in these tax cuts for the high income tax states like California and New Jersey, New York, that especially here on, on the West Coast, California, I mean, they can only limit that deduction, their state income tax by 10 grand. I mean, all of a sudden, that just created, again, more momentum. They're getting, for most people, it was a tax cut, but for some high income earners and high income tax state, it was brutal. And so immediately real estate started pumping up again in, in the Reno Tahoe area because you have this mass exodus out of, out of California. And so I predicted that one wrong, but eventually I think you're going to see the impacts of what's going to happen in 21. I think for a lot of families, it's going to be very difficult uh, that were deemed non-essential by our uh, leadership, by our politicians. 
And so we've got this lag. It's kind of like you see the traffic. You know, it just it doesn't take much of um, people looking at accident to all of a sudden create this huge uh, line of traffic that lasts for hours, right? So I think yeah. we're going to have a lag there. And so I don't necessarily think now, but I think potentially in the summer, some very interesting opportunities are going to present themselves for acquiring real estate. That's my feeling. Uh, you're going to see, especially in the commercial side, already right now they're getting crushed on the commercial side in the retail areas in certain areas of the country. And so, and you've got people investing, and so now uh, multifamily has become very interesting for people investing. So that's pumping that market up. And so, uh, I my the answer to that is I don't know. I do know that what has presented itself on the energy sector. I mean, my gosh, I mean, stuff that was very attractive to people to invest in what was profitable at a break even at fifty five a barrel, right? As an example, mm-hmm. uh, all of a sudden can be very profitable at fifteen to twenty dollars a barrel. To me, that is really good risk mitigation. Now, for me personally, I don't like leverage too much. Uh, the way I give my permission myself and a lot of clients I work with permission to spend is that, hey, if you've got six months to a year worth of liquidity for your business, for your family expenses, et cetera, just as a buffer, and then all this other money sitting idle, okay, now that's your permission to invest. There's your permission to start chasing rates for return. And uh, so real estate, I think uh, you'll know when the opportunities present themselves, but you'll know it's a good deal. You'll be able to, uh, to look at things uh, uh, relative. I mean, if your average median home in, in Reno, for example, is, I don't know what it is uh, where you're at, but $450,000, and all of a sudden a year from now it's three hundred. well, that's probably good. Still might keep going down, but your chances of success, success are probably way better if you're acquiring at three hundred. And then, then if you could leverage that, and to stick in these mortgages with these low interest rate environments, that's a great example of other people's money, using other people's money to leverage, uh, but areas that it can't bite you in if you have a lot of a buffer. And uh, so that would be a good example. Uh, oil, I think, is still going to be a nice window over the next quarter or two um, because we just haven't seen yet what, what's going to happen. But uh, like in the oil and natural gas space, that's not going away for a long time, in my opinion. And and it'll eventually get replaced as it transitions to fully renewable over the next few decades, uh, natural gas. And then, you know, until this battery issue is solved, I mean, I'm a huge fan of electric motors. They're fascinating. I mean, you got, I mean, compared to internal combustion engine, I mean, electric motors, I think down the road will have a, a great opportunity. But my gosh, and I'm a fan of Tesla. They're right here in our backyard, the Gigafactory. Um, and they're but, moving to Austin. So, uh, they have the Fremont factory, I believe. Yeah. They said we're yeah. out. Peace out. Yeah. Now, great job, California. I mean, seriously. And I'm not attacking residents of California, but the politicians. Are you kidding me? I mean, you're going to wa- watch that disappear. And, and the faith and the belief in that company. I mean, uh, for me personally, I'm terrified to go uh, invest in um, in Tesla. I mean, at 1,400 EPS earnings per share, that's that's outrageous. And who knows what'll be next week? But um, there's I, I don't know. I don't want to go uh, get long-winded on that answer, but uh, I would say forecasting-wise, I agree with you in the fact that I'm very optimistic. I am craving for the world to start turning again in June, and right now it's not turning yet. Uh, so I think areas to pounce on now could be the energy sector. That could be very fascinating. An area to pounce would be in um, if you could tie up money through equity lines of credit, at least have it available to you. To pounce, and then for the older generation that sitting in a home that they never leave, I mean, my gosh, it sounds like um, 
a bad word saying uh, reverse mortgages, but there's some phenomenal opportunities where they can lock in, not even really use it, but lock in um, that uh, guaranteed line of credit to extend uh, their ability to um, uh, enjoy more of their money and not outlive it during retirement. And uh, so those are some of the areas I find fascinating. I think the stock market, I mean, one of the best times to pull from the stock market is when it's at a historic high. It's at a historic high. One of the worst times to pull is when it's at a historic low. And so, I mean, anything you can do to diversify and not have everything sitting in one asset, I think, are, are phenomenal opportunities to take advantage of. And so, and again, uh, I don't know exactly what we jump into, but I do like the energy sector a lot as it stands today. I do think I'm priming for, I do think some interesting opportunities in the next year or two are going to present themselves in real estate. I, I really wish I could be more specific, but then I'm just guaranteeing myself to be wrong because it's just too hard to, to predict. Because um, didn't predict uh, uh, some you know virus getting out and this pandemic, but boy, in December, January last year, when I started reading a lot what was happening in China, and they're shutting down that that world there. I mean, my gosh, whether this thing's real or not, they're taking it seriously, and it's going to have profound impacts on the U.S. And I was warning about it on my podcast. That, hey, if you're happy with your returns in the market, it might make sense to hit the pause button. And boy, was that an epic ride down in March. Yeah, and for so, sure. But, but, but yeah, I would say, I mean, I think down the road, we're gonna have, it'll be interesting to see what is proposed by our government. Who knows who will be running things till after we see this re-election on January 5th, uh, the Georgia piece. And so uh, Wall Street's been on a tear. Now, interestingly, if you look at things... Um, so the world has shut down and the stock market is at an epic high. Interesting. So in a way, in a weird logic, the world will really be turning again in June. So therefore, the market will take a huge crash. <laughs> right. It should be really interesting. And, and, and also keep in mind, I mean, what's good for Wall Street is not what's necessarily good for Main Street. I mean, I mean, billionaires become even like more multi-billionaires because of the bailouts, how a lot of this money has, has pushed into the stock market. Um, so, uh, but a lot of families, not so good. And so this huge chasm has been created. And then the inflation and potential hyperinflation of money down the road. Um, so I still, at this moment of time, maybe metals, currency, crypto. But I mean, my gosh, you want to talk about risk. Uh, what's happened, especially in uh, Bitcoin, has been fascinating. Um, but for me personally... Um, my stomach doesn't, I don't like losing money. And so for those that, uh, with their financial strategies, like if you want more certainty, that's a, it could be a dangerous strategy. But if you have like an investment that you believe in and has the potential for a huge run, it could be Bitcoin could be, but boy, that, who knows what the government might decide to do on that one. So, you know, I do want to pair that up with this idea of the, the internal risk threshold. You said six to 12 months. That's a not an uncommon uh, bracket of, mm-hmm. of, of liquidity, but it's 100% different from itself, right? Six to 12 months. That's somewhere between X and 2X. How does somebody, <laughs> uh, you know, calculate that six is fine versus 12 is fine? And once they do, how do they kind of pair that up? You know what? It's Bitcoin day. How do they, you know, how does, how do the, how do you think about the balance there? Well, I did, the reason why I give such a, um, a safety fact there between six months to 12 months is it kind of gives permission to the more aggressive. It's just, it, it literally that just breaks down to the individual. I mean, I could believe, I think it was about 10 years ago I was listening to a speaker talk about, I've never lived in Switzerland, I haven't visited yet, 
but they're acceptable if I understood my takeaway, and I might be ruining this, uh, was that in uh, Switzerland they feel real comfortable when they have 10 years' worth of savings, right? <laughs> so, I mean, my gosh. So, um, and when I talk about savings, I'm not talking about savings retirement plan. I'm talking about money it's liquid, and you can access within a couple weeks. And so, yeah, it is a big uh, buffer, and it is almost trite when you're looking up uh, for, for savings. Um, but I like having that variance between six, uh, at least six months, right? And so it's just giving people who are more aggressive. If I can get six months worth of savings versus paycheck to paycheck, you'd be amazed at how many American households and how many small businesses. And apparently big ones like our airlines are paycheck to paycheck. right? And, of course, a lot of our tax code uh, creates that incentive, uh, at least for the big corporations. Uh, They maybe modified it a little bit so it encouraged them to, hey, why don't you have a year worth of – an emergency fund here because it not everyone might be flying all the time. Something might occur that could literally flip it on its head. Uh, so, yeah, I, it is a big discrepancy. But I like saying six months to 12 months because naturally you'll see the type of individual and personality will gravitate towards it. Um, I would say a lot of families I work with, uh, the husband and wife, one is very conservative and one can be very aggressive, which is a great hybrid because you got one that keeps you out of trouble. Right. Yeah. And then you have the other, though, yin and yang. Here's, you know, a little healthy debate. And when they're in alignment, uh, but then you have the other says, hey, it gives you permission to to hit that uh, gas pedal once in a while. And 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 boy, can that create a lot of wealth when those families, you know, those spouses are working together. It's the ultimate financial partnership. Uh, But, yeah, I I don't know how to answer that one. It's just like six months for me personally, because um, I was incredibly aggressive. I mean, if you looked at me back in 04, I was like 11 on 10 on the risk side. Uh, but, you know, when you get purged of everything mm. and you thought at the time, hey, can I still live with that? I always def- look at your exit strategy, right? When you get into investments or any type of savings or, or, well, any type of investment strategy, you could be a bulletproof investment. But boy, could you have a lot of liquidity risk, right? And you do this great yeah. five year note that's just this cash cow for you. That's great. But if you need that money in two years, you got a serious liquidity problem. That was a poor investment, even though it was performing well. And uh, so what's your exit strategy? And, and for me, I'm looking at all these aggressive investments back in 04. I had no savings. It was, all, why would I make zero? It made no sense to me. So I was leverage, leverage, leverage. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I'm investing in all this stuff. Put them to until work. all of a sudden. La- yeah, not, I don't want to- lazy dollars. I want working dollars. Get them out there. Yeah. For me at the time, the fear of missing out, I didn't want to be that person that's like, oh, if I only invested in that land, if I only did that energy investment, if I only did this, I would have had all this money. And so for me, my educated decision is like, okay, well, if I lose all that, can I still get up in the morning and go to work? And my answer was yes. And uh, But what I didn't account for is like, okay, if I lose all, the energy, if I lose all my investments and all of a sudden my real estate uh, becomes worthless too – Oh, and I lose my um, strong engineering income. That part didn't kick in. Um, can I live with all those things? The perfect storm just going to, to garbage, right? Where if I just had six months sitting in savings and even better yet, a year. And um, and I don't know, six months doesn't seem like enough anymore after this year. I was like, my gosh, I, I remember doing a podcast in March or whenever this was really hitting hard. Everything was getting shut down. Um we knew it was coming here locally with the, the stay at home for, they said two weeks. I'm looking at all the, 
the data we had. And <laughs> I told my wife, now. two weeks, two weeks, yeah. that's forever. How are we going to last two weeks? <laughs> I, I, I was like, that is BS. I said, well, I said, hey, I told my wife, I said, the governor's telling us two weeks. I'm telling you right now, that's BS because it's going to be four weeks. Because everything I'm seeing is coming out from the CDC, the WHO, which you don't know what to, 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 to completely trust because it kept, seems to change their mind. But they, this is novel. They didn't know what they were dealing with to the most part. But I was like, well, they must know a lot more than me. And But I, I told my wife, so prepare for a month. This isn't going to be two weeks. And uh, But I was just like, man, imagine all these businesses. They had six months or even better a year, like double up. And uh, how how much – how little impact in many ways it would have across uh, our nation – if that that kind of savings was implemented, and what a buffer! Now six months I thought would have been plenty, but what do I know? My gosh! I mean, look what's happened. This thing has dragged on for forever, forever and ever. Six months wouldn't have cut it. So I, that's my loose answer. I don't know how to say the, the, why I say between six months to a year. I think it's just to begin a conversation, working with businesses and families, and then you just see where they resonate. And um, and obviously, how you described it helped me actually because I I think that there's there's probably three vectors and one is if you don't have at least six months then you probably shouldn't be thinking about it at all if you have twelve months and you're not deploying your thirteenth month capital somewhere it's a fair conversation to say where can we do this and you should have an internal conversation about where you land between six and twelve months and post COVID you know it makes a case for at least nine months <laughs> you know? yes it does. I mean, it, it does. And I just know for, for, and I don't ask them to do anything that I don't do myself. I lead through actions. And boy, what a, wouldn't that be nice? All these politicians and these executives lead through actions. They tell us to stay at home and they get caught doing something that uh, we can't do. <laughs> yeah. I said, you guys don't, suck. Don't visit man. your family. Uh, well, excuse me, I got to catch a flight. I got to <laughs> print that. I mean, just not, is that crazy? It's just nonstop. It's infuriating. It's like, gosh, you want to piss people off on all sides of the aisle. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat or, or just hate Republicans and Democrats, um, you know, where I kind of line up with that one. I just I hate these parties, period, because it just always seems like um, they're not acting in our best interest. It's always in their best interest first. We're ancillary, and, and they're more equal than us. They're telling us not to go do something. Okay, we'll respect you. We're going to listen, right? We're very – humans are very um, adaptable creatures. I think that's what distinguishes from animals, right? You know, we have that higher consciousness. We don't have just that lizard brain. And, and so we're going to listen and just but but lead through actions. Just do we'll do what you're doing. But if you're out going flying out to Mexico or you're going to do this and you're going to do that and you're telling us to stay at home, go pound sand. You're not going to get buy in that way. That's just what a horrible uh, way to lead. And, and, and that's me going on a tangent. But, yeah, the six months, 12 months, it's it, COVID has obviously made that. Hey, maybe six months is not enough, but it sure is way better than zero. And it sure is way better than paycheck to paycheck. And I think for a lot of families that come in, um, it's an interesting spectrum. I have a lot of just natural savers all come and see me. But then I also have um, very aggressive entrepreneurs with phenomenal income streams. And it's like, hey, what's working for you? Oh, we make this much. That's phenomenal. What's not working for you? Uh, we're tired of being paycheck to paycheck. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so if we can dip in and start pulling the mind, right? I mean, if you sat down with me, Back in like, jeez, you sit down with me obviously like in 04 and tell me I need to have six months to a year. Like you say, you have to have a year in savings to me. 
uh, before I can do any type of investments, I'd be like, pound sand, I'm not going to listen to that. But maybe if you tease me a little bit, hey, we're going to build up to six months yeah. and then to a year. Well, now it's kind of like a rubber band. Now we're starting to stretch. And and um, and obviously, I was very open-minded that I, I realized that um, I thought I was so smart as an electrical engineer, you know, a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering, minor mechanical, got my BS in civil as well so I can get my professional engineering licenses. And uh, so I thought I was so smart. And uh, but just because you're really good in one area doesn't mean that transfers over to to money. And I never had a good financial advisor or mentor. Well, other profession, than my mom says, professions hey. have a challenge. I think too. Tell me if you think this resonates. If you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're an engineer, your your career, your your credentials don't translate to next year's job. It translates mentally to a whole the, the lifetime earnings. And you're spending money you haven't you won't make for a decade. Like you're buying a house that you're going to live in as an engineer that's 10, 15 years down the line. Is that is there truth to that? Because as an entrepreneur, I'm like, I'm not sure I'll have any money next year. So I have to approach the risk vector. But if I'm a doctor, I think it's reasonable to assume I'll be working next year. Is that is there is there a mentality well, that matches with that? Well, you mean like mentality of... Uh like loans like are no big deal. Like why why would I pay cash for a car? Because you know my income is basically guaranteed for the rest of my life because I'm a professional, and as opposed to like as an entrepreneur, I'm like I you know I'm going to do really well this year, and things may change next year. Well, I don't, might not make any money, so I'm going to think in terms of if I've got the money now, I can spend it now. I don't want to spend next year's money because next year is a whole other universe as far as I'm concerned. But well, as an, tied to that, I. Yeah, I it, yes, I mean, obviously, especially specialists uh, in, in the, the medical industry, uh, phenomenal income streams. And to your point, yeah, I mean, if you're making uh, millions of dollars a year, why not? And you have this strong income, you've got strong investments, depending on who you're partnered with. Why not take advantage of that leverage? And I think that's a great example. You could, but still, it <laughs> you know, uh, shit happens. And uh, there's surgeons who get disabled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, that wasn't part of their financial picture. You know, a lot of advisors uh, that these individuals work with, it, it is, they're very optimistic themselves, and they're very myopic to uh, investment advisors. They're looking at chasing rates of return. But they don't step back and say, hey, what if we do? Let's have – engineers love redundancy and safety factor. And I'm sure you've heard the term like over-engineering, right? Oh, yeah. You you know, anytime I do a project at home, my wife knows the shed I built is two times stronger than the house, right? <laughs> and, and and so safety factor, redundancy, redundant systems. And so uh, it's like it, it helps taking a different s- sidestepping or having uh, this person – on the side, he said, hey, this all makes sense. I mean, you, you want to, yeah, great. You're going after compound rates of return of 10% plus. You've got this in cash flow. Sure. And, and if you can go get a loan at 2% to go buy your supercar, why not? I mean, that's, that's just taking advantage of the spread. That's smart money. But you still should have a six months to a year buffer of your income streams because weird things happen. By the way, what happens if you become disabled? Then what? Now your million-dollar-year income, if you don't have any disability insurance, just went to zero. And now not only are you still alive, but now you guys are on the street, and now you get to watch your spouse and your children suffer in poverty as well. Weird things happen. Or what if you're put out of work? I mean, my gosh, how about all these surgeons that weren't defined as essential, the orthopedic surgeons, the neurosurgeons this year, that couldn't do their practice for months because it was all opened up, and it was empty this summer. In the hospitals, 
you know, and they couldn't um, they couldn't do any surgeries, elective surgeries. So all of a sudden, those strong income streams aren't there anymore. But guess what? That car payment's still there. That mortgage is still there. Yeah. But if they got just having that buffer for six months to a year, you can pay that mortgage for quite some time. And so it's just and, and rules are meant to be. It's nice just having some type of foundation uh, to, to work with. And then you just find out what resonates for you. I mean, my gosh, my mom's so conservative. She'd probably want the five to 10 years just sitting in savings before any type of investment, right? But then you got others like it just drives them nuts that we got to get this money moving. And for me, it just made no sense back in 04 to having things sit in liquid, right? It's like, gosh, I can leverage this. I can leverage that. You can create these phenomenal rates of return. Uh, but yeah, then, then just something slaps you that you weren't thinking about. And then you're on the corner saying you'll engineer for food. I mean, weird things happen. And so, and it just sounds so boring. I mean, it, I remember this one guy was asking me about Bitcoin a few years ago. Oh, I was buying, I was buying, I was looking at buying a smartphone. And so, and he's all, oh man, your investment advisor. Hey, what can I invest in? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, hey, you want to create a, a, a lot of money? He's like, yeah, man, I want, I want to be a millionaire. I want to have, I want to do this. I want to do all those trips. I said, if you want to do something really profound that's going to distinguish you from the majority of American households in this country, start saving 10 to 20% of your gross income and get six months just sitting liquid. And that was like, obviously, that was like the most boring answer to him. He didn't want to hear anything I had to say. So, um, but, but yeah, yeah no, there's are. And, and I like right. it is so, it, And I think that's part of the, the effect, right? It is so boring and it doesn't, it doesn't fit the narrative, doesn't fit of the American dream. It doesn't, it's not a quick win. And so yet yeah, really, I, I've experienced this myself having to really change, uh, my thinking to, I, I do think you nailed it. And I use a million sports metaphors and, and, and I had never really so clearly put the, um, you know, defense wins championships mentality into, into finance. And, it, and it's exactly that. It's really just holding still and not losing ground, doing everything you can to not bet against, work against yourself in the future with interest that's work doing the wrong things. And I know you talked about how hundreds can, can be beneficial if, you, if you're creating real liquidity, but really mortgaging the future is what we do by habit. And even right now, we know with the economic stimulus, one of the big problems with the um, the stimulus checks is that people save them. Like people who don't have a need, they're, they're like, for the, for the, to stimulate the economy, you got to go spend it for it to do its thing. And it's like, well, that's for those individuals. It's like, yeah, cool. Everybody else go spend it. Me and my friends and family don't spend it. <laughs> like, yeah, I would say to your point that a lot of people saved it. Yes. Um, you know, uh, my family, um, well, uh, I should say my, a lot of my families that qualified, um, yeah, anything that was, uh, came out, the families I represent, it was, you know, they went to savings, right? Yeah. Or wipe out debts that are just destroying them. And that was yeah. not necessarily the, the intention, right, right, right. Uh, but it was great that they did that. Now I would argue that not everyone did that because, uh, I thought for sure that a great – I know a, a great opportunity not to buy was like travel trailers. I thought for sure we're going to just get crushed this summer. It's like, oh, my gosh, everyone's afraid. Everyone's going to be saving their money. No, they're like – those. the markups on those things are huge. I believe like 30 40% markups. So I'm all geared up to finally buy my <laughs> wife a travel trailer. She's been on my butt forever, years, to get one. And uh, I thought for sure we'd be primed to go get one for a phenomenal deal – and one of the major dealers like, hey, we're we're out right, in the Bay Area. I <laughs> yeah. mean, they're all gone. I'm like, what are you getting? He's like, we're getting like 98, 
99% of asking retail price, sticker price. I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, hats off to you because everyone was going nuts. They couldn't go on their trips to Europe. Yeah, exactly. They couldn't do this. What do they do? It's like, hey, we're not. So I would argue that a lot didn't save it. Um, I think too many also just took advantage of the fact that that we can't spend it on trips, so we're going to remodel our homes. I mean, did you go to a Home Depot during this pandemic? It was crazy. Home Depot, Lowe's, I mean, the lines are outrageous. Everyone's remodeling their home because they're stuck in it. Might as well improve their kitchen, get their bathroom done. Can't go on this trip, so let's go buy a travel trailer. You know, now I have a strong feeling uh, what could be fun buys, not necessarily a great investment, but maybe ingress, um, a great investment for your um, time with your family, as I have a strong feeling we're going to see some phenomenal deals on travel trailers this summer. <laughs> now, I was completely wrong last year, but I have a good feeling I'm going to be right this year. Well, see, but you, that's, uh, this is really good example, because what you're describing is a, I've got the cash, I'll deploy it when and if it makes sense. As opposed to what deal can I get today, and you'll determine, you know, this if if the play materializes, I'll take it. If that play doesn't materialize, I'll do something different. As opposed to every day there's a deal I'm missing, and let me get my my cash deployed, and therefore I don't actually end up having excess capital on the day the deal shows up, the real deal. Yeah, chasing deals. Uh, I mean, you, you you have to lay out, and I just think having it on paper and having someone mentor you to. Um, that just sees things from a, a little bit different angle. You know, I, I kind of love, I equate it to like tennis. I, I used to love competing in the USTA uh, tennis tournaments years ago in uh, the NorCal Grand Prix. It was a blast. And it just really sharpened my brain mentally because it's one thing when you're just playing for fun, hitting it. It's amazing how great, I don't know if you play tennis, Mark, but uh, I, rallying the ball back I, and forth. I've gotten the ball across the net a few times, but then once I, I remember. Not that long. Well, maybe ten years ago, I played with somebody who really played, and it really no. <laughs> it's like ow, it's, it, <laughs> don't hit the like, ball so hard. <laughs> it's like physical chess. I love it. It's just such a fun sport, and um, but it's just when you're playing a game, or when you're hitting for fun, you hit way better. But then all of a sudden, when there's this fear of loss, it's a tournament, and there's not even any money on the line. It's it's just a tournament. It's a match. It's just like hey, I I came in whatever place. But it's amazing when there's all of a sudden something to lose, like you might not make it to the next match, your game can really tighten up. And so you got to really sharpen your brain and you got to really pivot to the positive and, and you got to have a game plan and, and how you're going to adapt. And you got to look for weaknesses. You got to use your strengths against your opponent's weaknesses and just have a lot of fun doing it. And uh, But what's amazing is you're on that court, it's really hard to see what you're doing wrong sometimes. Where uh, if you've got a friend or a mentor or anyone who understands the game sitting in the bleachers on the sideline watching, they know exactly what you're doing wrong. Our egos, our consciousness is very interesting. We will hide our flaws sometimes for ourselves, right? But so if, if I ever want a good measure on if I'm doing something right or wrong, I, I have a, a great mastermind around me. And a lot of it will be my wife if I'm thinking about ideas. Like any time investment, we do an investment. Anything or a purchase for my family, anything over a hundred bucks, I always run by her. Over a right? hundred bucks, and she's over even any over a hundred bucks. Now that wow. doesn't work both ways, by the way. <laughs> um, but I just like running up by her, and, and and she always says yes. Although this little Miata I wanted a few years ago, I didn't earn it yet by just because we didn't have the garage space for it. But I, I've always wanted this little Miata, which, by the way, I'm going to tie to something on that. Um, it, it, it's a uh, yeah, so it's just it's great having someone to bounce ideas off that is um, that you really look up to or is a mentor because it, it'll 
you'll just see it's easy for them to see an area to that you're blind to. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does for sure. And and uh, so anyway, but yeah, I think I don't know how I got on travel trailers, but I think <laughs> some, example, yeah, we're like, talking about savings, and, yeah. and it's like yeah, I don't think everyone saved because you good luck in, in a travel trailer, and then also look what's happened. I mean, the, the homes have been to the roof, so I'm not going to pay a fortune for a house right now. But there's a lot of emotion. People want out. It's really weird year 2020. It wasn't just this COVID thing. I mean, there's a lot of opportunists. I mean, this. The riots, the protesting, um, just all of it, man. And so that you've, we've, a lot of people don't want to be downtown and midtown anymore. They want to be further away. And so it's just amazing what's happened. I never thought land would become, I mean, my gosh, when my clients had their property on the market, it wasn't even like five minutes and immediately you're getting a cash offer wow. on, on just vacant land. That's like usually a crappy investment. It doesn't cash flow. It just sits there. Good luck trying to get a loan to, on, a, on a piece of land. Banks don't want that, right? So it's just it, it, opportunities are going to present themselves. And it's, it's as exciting as I can make savings sound, right? It's just you have that kind of money sitting liquid. They're just The opportunities are just going to find you, right? You build it and they'll come. And uh, one thing I was going to say about uh, giving permission just to be boring, uh, I love uh, I love Formula One racing, Right. And uh, some of my clients just love going to the track and I'm just enjoy. I'm too cheap to spend the money on those cars. But I get I love it when I get invited to go on the track and and the speed at which they drive is, is phenomenal. And uh, every time I get to go ride, I, I'm like, OK, I'm not going to be a wuss. I know they're going to make this corner and sure. Enough, and I know they're going to make it. But sure enough, that first corner. I'm like, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it, right? And of course, we make it, right? And I'm trying to put my foot to the fire, uh, to the wall, right? Firewall, and uh, just like break, break, break. Uh, but you know, the way these guys become a good friend of mine years ago, um, he he used to race Ford Formula Ford, and so he won. You know, this was a long time yeah. ago, but it's really impressive. Uh, but he's like, hey Ken, if you want to go fast, you got to start slow. You want to really learn how to race a car, you don't start with a Porsche or a Lamborghini or – and they always poke fun at Lamborghinis anyway. But you start with a Miata. You start with a car that's well-balanced, way underpowered, and then you start learning inertia. And then you start learning how to change gears. You learn how to pick lines. You don't allow horsepower to be your crutch. And so it just goes back to savings. To go fast, you got to start slow. You got to create a strong foundation. You got to create redundancies. A lot of these businesses that go out of business isn't because of a lack of knowledge and a lack of work ethic. Um, you know, they're, they're, a lot of them are very intelligent people um, and great companies. You got intelligent people and you have great systems. You're gonna have a phenomenal company, uh, but quite often not have enough money because things go weird. A lot of entrepreneurs are going to. Um, overestimate revenues and underestimate expenses yeah and so a lot of great companies just go away because they don't have enough money it's also why i find tesla so fascinating because they've gotten so much fu money now just because of a belief i mean it's not a profitable entity yet really but it but it's a phenomenal idea they're great cars the motors are phenomenal the battery's the weak link that code gets cracked, which is that on the energy side as an investment opportunity. I'm very optimistic that that code will get cracked soon. And so if we have batteries, that's the weak link. If we can solve the battery issue, 
um, boy, what some opportun- fascinating opportunities will present themselves in a couple of years in that area too. Well, so right? th- there's always somebody wanting to hype up the best investment. And the, but what's fascinating to me is is really this, the mindset just below that, which we've been talking about a lot of. So it's you've decided as an entrepreneur, business leader, whatever you're, you've got your means, and you said you know six months. That's my minimum, and you work towards it, and then you got you know what? There's my six months. I'm there, and now I'm in any time that feels like there's opportunity, which is the same as really any time I think, especially for entrepreneurs. You got six months cash in the bank. You're probably going to feel like there's opportunities flying by you every minute that you're not taking advantage of. What what do you do with the money, and what's the mindset that you want people to sort of absorb? Like it's six months cash reserves plus one day what do you do every single day accumulating cash putting it in certain types of vehicles that it's it's liquid semi-liquid or what's the mindset you want people to sort of take with them into that day i mean for like uh, for businesses or families or both I'm th- to me, it's the entrepreneurial business owner. It's you know, some, somebody owns a business, they run a business, they're in the business, and they're making money out of the business in, in some in some formula. So they have an, a business that they run that makes them a fair amount of money uh, that they get to use personally. Well, your best, in my opinion, your number one best investment is typically your own entity you're going to create. That's going to crush, in my opinion, almost anything the stock market's going to do is because you're – uh, creating a business, your entrepreneurial mindset, um, you know, turn, right? Velocity of money, transaction after transaction after transaction, uh, that just kicks the crap out of compound interest all day long. Not that that's not a component for creating wealth, but um, it is. And so I guess I'll use myself as an example, just like, you know, I've been running, I've been in this industry since of end of 08, um, but, uh, you know, when I first got in, I absolutely hated it. And I was like, gosh, I'd rather sh- shovel horseshit than uh, go out and knock on doors and go sell auto insurance and just get treated like crap. I mean, it's just in, in, the, in me, like being, I like being in the corner engineering and designing. And, and I'm, I'm, I've had the social distancing thing down for decades, right? <laughs> I don't like big crowds. I don't like lines. I like who I like. Um, but I don't like all the different variables. And, and humans can be incredible people, but they can also be really nasty people too. And so, you know, it's like Christmas. What a horrible time to go shopping right now. I mean, you should see our malls, right? We're supposedly locked down and 25% occupancy right now in restaurants. And it's you see what's going on in the malls and Walmart. It's like, it's just packed, right? So, but apparently, well, I won't even go on that tangent, but uh, apparently COVID ceases to exist on airplanes, because when I had to fly out to Texas a couple months ago or a month and a half ago, you know, we're packed in there like sardines. Wow. Yeah, everywhere else, I have to be six feet apart and all this other things. And so anyway, um, but when so I was talking about, uh, sorry, I went off a, a little tangent, <laughs> but the- It's that mindset of, which of, is, of a, a T plus day one, you got six months and you, you know, where's your mindset for how to, how to think about oh, not spending or, or, or spending and investing yeah. in opportunities? Well, it's going to make fun of myself. And so my point was on that is that I was engineering, like I hated the industry, still many areas of the financial industry. I just absolutely hate. I just love my clients. I love what I do. I love showing a different way to play the game. And so um, environmental engineering came back. And so, um, and I thought I was done with the financial industry a long time ago, Uh, but there's a part I just love teaching. I couldn't walk away from it. I just want, it's like, I got to teach this to the world. And so good friends, select clients after hours after i'm done with all my engineering work i'm teaching them on on financial strategies saving strategies you know that's what and i talk about my podcast the bank of Soros. and uh in 
It's just I was so passionate about it. I didn't even care if it made me money or didn't make me money as long as I broke even. But what happens? Like, oh my gosh, I got all this extra money over these years before I was doing the side hustles at night. I was always number one accountable to my engineering job. That was number one. And I was never going to violate that. And so numerous times I have to cancel meetings at night because I'm out at a mine or I'm doing some environmental site assessment. Uh, but eventually my wife, my son was coming. He, he turns five. He's four and a half now in a few months. You know, end of March, he'll turn five years old. And so uh, January 4th of, yeah, five years ago, um, I decided to run my company full time. Scared the hell out of me. But I was optimistic. But what I did to give my permission to do that, A, my wife's like, you can't do both. There's just no way. You, you have a son coming. Right? You can't just be working nonstop and through the weekends. So what I did is I just had a spreadsheet. I looked at all the expenses, what I knew what we needed for our family right, and our budgets, ran reports on it, put all on a piece of paper, and then I looked at extremes. I said, if I don't make a dollar for a whole year, we'll still be in business. That gave me the courage, plus my wife backed me through and through, to walk from a guaranteed income stream in engineering, right, after it came back, uh, to uh, run my company full-time. And so I think with entrepreneurs, uh, um, I, I hope that helps answer at least on that piece, uh, to, to give uh, yourself, um, create some certainty to do something very, very aggressive. Is, um, is like, what? how can you fail? And how are you not going to fail? Um, and I hope I answer that piece. You know, and, uh, I, I but, say, maybe we can what, keep what I, yeah, with it. What I'm hearing you say is that, uh, and there's a lot of people who have said something to this effect. Tim Ferriss talks about this in a different way. He talks about the muse, and he says if you've got an income stream that you don't have to spend a lot of time on, you can start making much better decisions in life, and you and you can slow mm. down at this point. Like there's, you're not in a hurry. And so uh, what, you're, what you're saying there is that if you've got a year's worth of, of runway, you can make a year's impacting decision like everything your risk in life is lower like if if you're if you're going to run out of money in a month and you make a decision that could cause you to to not have money for a month that's existential and so if you've got a year's worth of money or two years worth of money and you make a month impacting decision it's inconsequential it's a risk you can easily take and and you and you can weather the storm and, and figure it out so your ability to make a decision about doubling down on your business expanding your business making a hire in the business starting a new business uh you know whatever it, with that one year is this like the only critical ingredient you must have to make the very best decisions when you have uh, stress kills creativity stress is going to kill like big thinking and so uh, if you can remove that element out of it, then you can make some very um, smart choices. You can be very passionate, do things the way you want to do it. And if you just look at experiences, I mean, I remember going to, my gosh, it's been like, I think this was like 10 years ago. I remember flying down to Vegas, and there was a speaker at a financial symposium talking about forget technical analysis. Just look at the experience that you have at some of these. If, if you just invested in these companies based upon your experience, how top-notch it was, I mean, from, it, you would have had uh, phenomenal returns. And so Apple was one of those examples. Starbucks at the time was one of those examples. I mean, just doing things at a way better level. And so, it, it, and I kind of apply that, and I think great companies... I mean, I apply it for my company. I see a lot of great companies just like, you know, 
forget the numbers. Once you get that piece out, and don't worry about the revenue piece, and uh, just, I mean, for me, just treat people like you want to be treated. And I'm pretty high maintenance, right? I mean, I like things done. Just do it perfectly, and I'm I'm a piece of cake. But if you're going to half-ass something, then don't do a project for me because I don't want anything to do with it. What I, I absolutely hate mediocrity, and boy, are we surrounded by it. Yeah. But boy, do I love when you see people do things at an incredible level and are thinking big and think bigger and bigger. Uh, the way they're able to do that, A, I think they just rem- they remove that uncertainty piece out. They're not focused on the money piece on because that, that buffer is there. Now they can be creative, and then now they can do what resonates for them. And I'm a huge believer that like attracts like. I mean, one of my favorite books, i got to reread it again because I haven't read it for a while, was uh, I believe the author's name is Richard Bach, and it's called Illusions. And he mm-hmm. talks about like attracts like. Yeah. And, and, part, and, and I'm such a believer in that. And so if you like things at an extraordinary uh, level, I mean, if you like nice things, you like nice trips, and you don't want to do it mediocre. You want to do it – you just want it perfect. You, you treat people that way, those type of people will be attracted to you. And then look at what – I don't even know how you put a number on the rate of return on that. But that's how you create phenomenal ROIs, I think, is that at some point in time you got to stop being so analytical – and you just got to go down to, hey, what resonates for me? What am I passionate about? What kind of service do I want to provide for others? What I loved when I got in this industry full time is like I knew because I had that year plus. I mean, that's extreme, right? I mean, no money for a year and we'll, we'll, we'll survive. Yeah. And it was yeah. pretty likely money was going to come in. But, the very, but, but also what I wanted too is I didn't want any type of um, conflict of interest. I think a lot of people, regardless of what profession – if they're struggling for money, they might make some poor. They might pr- provide poor advice for their client. There might be um, a bias there, right? Yeah, there might yeah. be mindshare that's not in the best interest yeah, of their client. Fair. Yeah, for sure. And and so, but then now it gets you. And, and to me, I don't have me at home is me at my company. I just believe in pure transparency. I don't think there's these uh, dual lives for me. I hate it. Like, I mean, that's also I'm not really on Facebook or anything. I'm marking people put stuff up about the company, but, um, but apparently my wife has explained there's a lot of people put stuff out on social media like Facebook that is their second life. Like, that's mm. not really them. I was like, that is so weird and confusing. And how do you keep up with that crap, right? So uh, I, I just think I think it could be at a big corporate level. I mean, my IT company that I chose is I just love the messaging from the CEO. I mean, the, the guy ran the whole thing all the way down to who's answering the phone. One of the best ways I um, I like I know how I'm going to invest in a company or be a part or align myself with a company is I want to hear how that phone is answered. And everyone's equal in the company, but they have different roles. Obviously, a CEO is going to be paid way more or a principal is going to be paid way more than whoever's answering the phones. Um, but uh, from, even at that level, it tells me everything from up, up top. If they're answering the phones well and the people put paperwork together, I don't care if it's an investment or real estate, but from beginning to end, uh, everyone in between is done at a phenomenal level. That's, that just says everything about up high, right? That says everything about a company. And, and I think the way you get that is, uh, again, just chasing what you believe in. And if you're not worried about the money component and you just work on yeah. your – your monthly habits, your weekly habits, your daily habits. Yeah, it's all long, you know, all the long top game three stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's where you're going to create a crumb amount of value, and then the money will come. The ROI will come. I love that point. I, and we've, you made several really good points, and you know, we've covered a lot in the last hour, and I think that this idea of, of – 
what, what it's all about, or I think kind of ties it all together. And so I'd love it if we could kind of end on that point, and I'd love you to kind of sum it up in maybe what I would call your passionate plea to entrepreneurs right now. My passionate plea, like uh, like next steps or, yeah, like if you're, or if it's entrepreneurs. If you're listening to me right now, here's what I want you to take away from from now and into 2021. You know what what do you what are you asking them to do that they might not do? Oh, I had a great meeting with an entrepreneur yesterday. Like they're trying to make a big move uh, for 2021. Brilliant mind, young family, entrepreneur. And uh, so I'll, I, and it, it very mirrored a lot of the ways I think, and maybe this will be my I'll, – I'll, I'll hit on a few things. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my plea is, uh, hey, don't do it for the money. Do it because you're passionate about it because then it's fun. If it's something that creates some amount of joy, it will feed itself. You'll be, you will end with more energy than you began with. And then, so uh, if it's got, it's got to be. I think something you're passionate about, something that has meaning to you. Um, not like, hey, I love tennis, but I can't be a professional tennis player. That's not what I'm meaning. Like, I love, but something you're really good at, you're really skilled at, and something you believe in and that'll be very reward- rewarding. And then you're getting paid to do so over time. Um, so I would say for entrepreneurs, uh, a number one, what's your exit strategy? You got to figure out your exit strategy. You want to get into this company. You want to create this company. I think you need to understand how you're getting out first. How are you getting out? Five years, 10 years? What is the long-term thinking? Um, also, uh, boy, did we beat on it a lot today, uh, but I can't overemphasize enough. It's like you got to have liquidity. You got to have where you got to have that money readily available. Because when you have that kind of certainty, uh, you're in control of the money. You're not um, in a position. <laughs> you're not a, to, to be a financial slave, right? You're not a, in a predatory position where you're prey. And so it's like really find a way. Think of extremes. What can you do? What sources can you have so you have incremental liquidity around you so that um, you can outlive uh, some some trying times with your company. And then also surround yourself with a team. You're not going to be an expert. The one area you're an expert in, there's a lot of other pieces there. I mean, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're going to have to have a good tax attorney. You have to have a good, and by the way, a CPA. But most CPAs don't focus on tax strategies. Um, they just love auditing and doing books and then kind of do the paperwork as a service. But you're going to have a strong tax strategy. You want a strong financial strategy. You're going to want to have some good mentors. Peers, a mastermind to in that area to to balance ideas around because you, there's things that uh, might be super simple that you just didn't think about that that mentor or that mastermind will bring to your attention. So I think having that kind of a close network, people closely aligned that have an invested interest in your success uh, would be a great ways for entrepreneurs. I think that's my plea is, is don't try to do it alone. Don't be alone on island. Be passionate about it. Make sure you've got an incredible amount of liquidity. And it could be forms of like equity lines of credit, cash, good people that you know will lend, right, that you trust. Anything you can do to avoid banks is, is great, in my opinion, yeah. unless you got some good connections there. Um, but I would say uh, those are uh, pieces uh, to, to, to really consider. Love it, man. And that, That's great stuff. And uh, the one thing I, I really think was worth highlighting, I and mean, all that stuff was great, but one of the things we don't hear enough about, I don't think, for entrepreneurs is protecting your d- defensive in you know money strategy 
I think a lot of entrepreneurs think that it's all about putting on the credit card, having, I mean, betting it all on red, sleeping on the couch. And, and there are some great stories that, that people have done that. But the pressure that, that is put on an entrepreneur to make uh, decisions and desperate decisions, especially in subsequent years, like the first year is, is kind of sometimes the hustle. And some the things that throw you into entrepreneurship can be any number of scenarios that, that maybe it's, maybe you had no choice and maybe you had no money and you, for whatever reason, didn't have a job and had to start. And so I get that. But if it's in year two or year three and you're still running this idea that I don't have cash because I'm an entrepreneur, that's not helping you be at your best and, and really <laughs> understand how to create a defensive strategy around cash to take the pressure off of things going wrong being so catastrophic. I can't emphasize that enough. Well, Ken, I'm so grateful for the everything you shared. So, tons of stuff in here, and I really love the mindset, the way we kind of created this. I uh, talked about this, you know, defense wins championships, and really beat that drum because I, I cannot stress that enough. I work with a lot of companies who really are struggling to get their mindset out of the invest every dollar, every minute, every second into a possibility that leaves them sort of without anything to invest. Uh, with if something really big comes up, and they always are kind of at that edge. So I'm grateful for that. If somebody wants to hear or continue the conversation with you, how do they find you? Best way to reach out to me, uh, uh, two things, uh, just to learn more about what I teach and my approaches and my uh, rambles and ideas. Uh, you know, I host the Engineer Finance Podcast. So you can find that in all the big players, right? Apple, Spotify, et cetera. And also just go to, if you want to just, you have a question, you want some help to take the next step, go to my website, engineerfinance.com. There's a button in the upper right-hand corner that says, you know, schedule time to talk with me. You can, I'd be more than happy to talk to you for 15 minutes and see what I can do to help. And uh, those are the two best ways to reach out to me, engineerfinance.com. And uh, just listen to uh, my podcast, uh, Engineer of Finance Podcast. You can hear all my rants. Awesome. On, on that area. Awesome. And ideas. Well, Ken, I'm grateful, and I'm sure uh, that'll be helpful for people. That's it for today. Everybody who's been listening, please don't forget to subscribe, share with friends, give us the feedback. The feedback is so important for us, good and bad. Everything you got, bring it to us. It's super valuable to us. And get it, this podcast link into the hands of the people who can benefit from it. Uh, and so that's it for today. We'll see you next time on You're Doing It Wrong with me, Mark Henderson Leary. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary. For more episodes and to subscribe, go to leary.cc.